Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I am your host, as always, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me is my co-host, Sean Gray. How are we doing? Good, 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 good. Oh, good, good. Feeling good after Bahrain? I Enjoy am. It? Feeling very good, actually. I was... A bit, um, a bit more positive, would you say, than yes, the first much, two races? Much, yeah. actually. Um, and we shall explain why. Once I have treated you all to today's lyrical masterpiece... Um, <laughs> From the Grand Prix held in Bahrain, there was unlikely to be any rain. But to our big surprise, these Formula One guys drove a race we'd like to see again. <laughs> I think I said last week that last week was the best one yet. That's the best one. <laughs> you're, you're definitely improving with time. <laughs> we'll see how good we can get in this. Um, you'll, be, you'll be up for some sort of award by Suzuka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the, um, the either the country names or the uh, circuit names. I'm not looking forward to um, to trying. Oh yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Baku, is going to be difficult unless it's what a rhymes, bad race. <laughs> what rhymes with Sochi? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. That's going to. Hmm. That's, that's <laughs> next, isn't it? Is Russia next? I guess. Uh, yes, it is actually. <laughs> I, best, um, I best get the thinking cap on ahead I was of time. Say, I think, you can start practicing now, then you got a couple. Of... <laughs> so uh, yes, as uh, the little limerick sort of alludes to, we had the Bahrain Grand Prix, um, a, a maligned Grand Prix. I shall have to admit on this show. Um, I think we've only been very positive about it uh, once in the five years, which was the um, duel between Lewis and Nico, the last time that Mercedes ever left. <laughs> race on track um but yeah it's not been shall we say our, our favorite race on the calendar um but i was pleasantly surprised by this race um it had what i felt that china didn't have in a meaningful way uh which was interest for the lead of the race all throughout the race uh whilst there might have been sort of more spectacular overtakes in parts in China, I kind of felt that Bahrain kept me more on the edge of my seat about the whole entire thing. I, I really wasn't sure how it was all going to work out and all the stories from the Grand Prix were all um, sort of played out over the, over the longevity of the race. And that's, that's what I want to see from kind of Formula One really is uh, races where you don't watch the first 10, 15 minutes and then can do something until the last five laps just yeah. to tune in and, and see yeah. how it was going. Absolutely, because that's what we had with the last sort of few years anyway. There was that f- horrible fuel-saving, tyre-saving middle stint, if you like, that, that we must have complained about on more than one occasion where everybody turns the whip down and just waits to make their move in the last five laps. So definitely agree with you there. We seem to hopefully... This race was evidence anyway that we've kind of moved away from that. Fuel saving isn't anywhere near as much of an issue as it was. And with these tyres this season, they're allowing them to to not have to worry too much about, about saving them. So you are getting people going for it in the middle of the race. And you're seeing people come in early, strap a set of boots on and, and, and try to smash it in the middle of the race and make up time. 
and then come out ahead when the strategy unfolds towards race rather than just conserve, conserve, conserve and pounce late on. You're seeing a mixture of everything. There will be still people that try and do that, but there's also now people that are going five, ten laps into the race. Okay, let's get to pit early, get the fresh set of boots on and, and, and absolutely nail it now. Yeah, and, and you're right that that it's kind of like all through the race, it's kind of like, oh, so what's that guy doing? What's he doing? Oh, he's coming. Like, there's a bit more, uh, just a little bit more to keep you keep you focused and and not have to worry about um, thirty minutes of <laughs> everybody, you know, looking at their dashboard, driving mm-hmm. to driving to a specified split, you know you know just mind 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 conserve 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 so yeah i'm positive as well good that's what i like to hear um i i think the thing is that um the only thing that i think that could make it better is if there was po- possibly a larger difference in pace between the two tires or the, or the three compounds you've been um, after that for a while though haven't you like i uh, seem to recall the last couple of years you were after that yeah, I, I kind of lived with it when there was bigger tire degradation, you know, that, that whilst the lap difference, you know, wasn't necessarily tons, the degradation was. So you had the yin yang of the tires there. Now that the tires are lasting longer, um, then I feel that there's kind of got to be more, more, more difference, isn't there, in, in, in a way. Um, or, or what it should have always been that the tires can last, um, but the softer tires are just less, and but with a bigger time difference. So there should be should push, you know, racier strategies. Um, if you you know if there was a second between each tires instead mm-hmm. of like two or three tenths. Um, it, seemed, it seemed to me this week that the the super soft didn't really actually work that well in the race and no and and you had that last season as well didn't you a few races where it just didn't it sort of it sort of took everybody a few laps to realize that once a couple of people had came out on it there was you then see more and more people go oh hold on a minute that's actually the better race tire and then by the end of it i think everybody was anybody who you know started to stop to make was kind of choosing to to go on to that anyway even if they had a you know, a, a red striped tire as opposed to the yellow one. So, I was just trying to work out why the Super Soft didn't really sort of come into their into their own in that in that sort of way that everybody was was choosing to go for the softs in you know, um, in general. It was like Lewis. Lewis came out for his last stop, and he said on the radio, "Why have we got the red? Uh, why have we got the, the yellow tire on and not the red tire?" And the, they, the, the engineer just said that's the, that's the right tire. Yeah, yeah. So, they'd, they'd watch Bottas struggle on their super soft. Um, they just not, just not doing faster the times race, yeah. than um, than Lewis was able to do on the soft tires. Exactly, um, it was strange. So uh, the super soft almost acted at like a quality tire and quality, where that was the one for one single lap pace. But over a stint, they just couldn't seem to couldn't really seem to get it going. Um, I don't know whether. I, I'm not really sure what the what the science behind that would be. Do you think? Well, there was there was it would have to be that either a they couldn't keep the tires up at temperature, which seems odd for Mercedes. Do you know what I mean? See, I didn't think that that was you know I thought it was the other teams that had problems getting the tires to temp and muck out. Although Mercedes did say, didn't they, that Valtteri Bottas's first set of tires um, 
were the wrong pressure. They were too course, yeah, too course. high, so he wasn't getting the best use out of them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's usually tire temp, isn't it, or degradation? We seem to have gotten past degradation being the thing that it was. Um, so they just weren't giving up the grip, which would seem to be something mechanical with the compound. But I don't, you know, we don't work for Pirelli. We're not tire scientists. What a boring job that would be. You know, imagine being a tire scientist. <laughs> right. So, you know, we can, we can only hazard a guess, but it, it did seem very odd. Uh, whether it's temperature thing, whether the super soft work better when it's hot and when it's cold, like in the middle of the night in the desert. Well, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Would, would, but then, the fact that it was a night race, perhaps. That, it. Yeah, but, but wouldn't you then think that would have made the soft tyre even worse? Should have the soft tyre would be even harder and more difficult to turn on, but it didn't I, seem like that. I, I, I would hypothetically agree. So <laughs> that's when I was kind of like, oh, it must be the oh, it's at night, it's dodgy track conditions that they're not used to, that must be it. And then when you actually sit and think about it, you go, well, but then surely... The soft tire would be pretty rubbish then as well. Okay. So I, I don't know. Um, so somehow the soft tire warms up quicker than the super soft tire, but lasts longer. <laughs> Seems to be like what you suggest there, wouldn't you? That you can, can get, get on um, it quicker and go faster. Paul Hembry. Paul Hembry, yeah. Do you want to come on and explain to our viewer, uh, to our listeners just what happened there? Because we're not quite sure. <laughs> yes. And these, those, these are the things, aren't we, that when we talk about complaints about Formula One, is that sometimes bits of it like this are sort of completely um, invisible concepts that you can't grab hold of mentally and go, ah, right, I understand this, so now I can kind of understand all the races going forward. We'll go into to, to Sochi, ne you know, next weekend and go... I don't really know which tire is going to be the best tire because I would have thought that the ultra soft is the quickest, but falls to pieces. The super soft would be in the middle, and then the soft or the medium or whatever it is would be slower, but in, last in the way, whole race. In a way, at least it gives us an element of unpredictability on strategy. You know, if someone who's leading the race comes in first and tries to dictate the strategy off the front and puts on the red tire, and suddenly that's not the right one to be on, and the guy in behind who goes a bit longer can spot that and. You know, it gives us that little element of yeah, up to, up up top. What's you know, and adds another layer of unpredictability and strategy. Anyway, but it was I guess... a, it just it certainly was a bit weird this one. And yeah, the fact it was a night race makes me think. Okay, there must be there there has to be something in that. It's too much of a coincidence that it's not somehow related to the fact that it was at night and the track temperature and the air temperature is going to be significantly different than it would be during the day. So. There must be something there. I'm just not sure what it is yet. It's there. Yeah, I, I guess it's funny you know, what, when you started talking about unpredictability and stuff and people not being able to, you know, um, easily predict stuff. It reminded me again of why refueling is, a, you know, a good idea. Because <laughs> once the fuel's in the tank, nobody can guess. Do you know what I mean? You don't know what you've got in. You can look at the pit stop and say, oh, he's fueled that for six seconds. He must have about this. But then the day, who knows? Like, yeah, and you don't know what they're going to start on, and and you know yeah. all those bits and pieces. That's 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 everything that I love about Formula One: unpredictability and the strategy, which is why I'll campaign till the end of time for <laughs> to come back. Absolutely. Anyway, so let's, let's talk about say, the yeah. actual race, and it's um, there were a few few interesting points I think from from this one, which 
as you go through racer by racer, I think are quite tell the story of probably where Formula One really is. I think we I think we're now starting to see the lay of the land somewhat. Yep. Uh, I think first of all, big mention in qualifying to Valtteri Bottas for his first ever pole position. Mm, yes. He um, said, they, they congratulated on the radio and he almost had to remind them he was this is my first one guys I've done that quite a few yourself it's my first one I'm not Nico anymore <laughs> so well done to Valtteri it didn't really work out for him in the race unfortunately as we said there with the tyres and the weird pressure thing off the line that yeah that seemed to be a bit dodgy like like I seen a tweet I don't, can't remember if it was yourself or someone else that tweeted it but saying if that had happened last season what kind mm. of hell, hell would there have been to pay kind of thing but um, yeah, so so poor for that. It didn't work out in the race, but uh, a great great effort in qualifying to to beat yeah, Lewis. Absolutely. I mean, you'd have to say Lewis is probably the the single lap quick. You know, one lap for your life. Yeah. yeah, he's the one you want. Argue all you want about Alonso in the race and the way Vettel drives and tactically, but um, one lap, you know, Lewis is the one you would want holding the holding the gun. So. For Valtteri to, to beat him with equal machinery, fair play. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it really felt like he pushed him this week rather than the last couple of weeks, I think. It felt Bottas seemed to be coming to grips with, um, you know, being able to push that car that much further. And, I, you know, I guess coming from the Williams where it probably was, wasn't like that and also from several years of not pushing the car as hard as you can being an important factor in racing, it's probably going to take him a little time to get up to speed with all of the um, power and grip and all the other pieces that he can really pull from that Mercedes car. So, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Of course. It's good to see. I think you can obviously see from even just from Australia to now, he's in, there's improvement, you know. there's the He's obviously, as time goes by, getting used to the things that you just alluded to and you can you can see that it is you know it is coming with him. Like if he was still where he was in Australia, you might say, "Oh, no, well, he's not really going anywhere." But to me, race even though we're only three races in, each race, race by race, it looks as if he's improved that little bit more. So hopefully, when he is six ten races down the line in the car, we'll see the true reflection of what Bottas is capable of now that he's in a, when he's settled in. He's definitely getting there for me, and it's a shame that. He had his, his trouble in in the race with the tires and stuff because he he got he got off the line in front, you know. Um, good start. Hamilton not as good a start. Vettel slipping into second, which uh, you know was not the defining moment in the race by a long shot because there was plenty of happening. But I, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a perfect start for for Sebastian splitting the two Mercedes off the line, and then. Uh, yeah, Bottas just didn't seem to get anything going from there, which was a shame because he, like I said, got away quick, and then went backwards um, pretty quickly. Yes, the the conspiracy theorist in you would suggest that having um, the wrong tyres uh, at the start of the race <laughs> gave his teammate, you know, the best possible chance of ever taking him into turn one, but. Uh, you mental to do that with the Ferraris sat behind you and the and the Red Bulls. So uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I I love a good Mercedes conspiracy theory. <laughs> the next guy, but even I'm not convinced that that's uh, that's what's happened here. <laughs> so 
the result of the race really was that despite starting on the second row, Sebastian Vettel goes on to mm-hmm. uh, win the race. Um, we kind of said, you know, last week he was unlucky with his pit stops. Was he lucky with his pit stops in this in this one? In that he came in early, yep, uh, rammed the tires, um, and got to make up the time. The safety car happens. The Mertz come in, have to double stack. Um, and, you know, he's not... They don't have the immediate chance to come out and use that fresh tyre, even though they, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, There's certainly an element of fortune. I don't think anybody would uh, would argue that, but there's also certainly a case to be made that he, he, they made their own luck there by driving the strategy, committing early to the two-stop, getting out and putting the laps in that got him into the position that he was. So sure, yeah. the safety car favoured them this week when it didn't the week before. So And that's a sport. It goes both ways. And I sat here two weeks ago and said, oh, I was lamenting the disappointment because what might have been with Vettel's, you know, we didn't really get to see him challenge Lewis. And this week it was the, the opposite way around. So that's that's the way that's the way the cookie crumbles, but I definitely think there's a you know you have to say they put themselves in that position through strategy and pace to 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 get the fortune. Um, but yeah, there's, like anything in sport, there is there's a, there is an element of fortune. But I think his pace was good as he proved later on in the race when you know once he'd gotten into the lead, you know, the pace was there, and he showed it coming out after his first pit stop before the safety car. You know he was sitting top times you know he was catching the two marks up front who hadn't yet stopped on the on the older tires he was he was clawing straight into them so it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened without the safety car but um the, the ferrari look, look definitely had the pace to to possibly win the race even without it who knows yeah the Ferrari in Vettel's hands definitely seems to feel like it's the quicker race car, doesn't it? That it's it's got pace in it that can be unlocked uh, potentially. I think um, based somewhat, I think on how the tires are handling. Um, I think that slight age-old problem of Ferrari needing to um, get the tires up to temp quick um, is possibly st- still there. Um, I still think the Red Bulls seem to be able to get out and make the tyres work faster, probably than even Mercedes, I think. Um, but the car just seems like it's got um, like half a gear more than uh, some of the other cars that are at points on the racetrack, which just allow it to be fast under race trim. Um, why that doesn't seem to con- sort of turn into an advantage on a one lap pace. I'm not sure um, whether it is, you know, again, are we talking about a tire thing here? Is is the Ferrari a bit kinder on its tires so it can um, take more out of them for longer? You know, does, does that kind of how it goes? Is it, does it eke out the best bit of the tire life more than the other cars on the grid, allowing it to be uh, quicker for a longer period of time on the track. I don't really know at this stage. I, I think we'll need to see more races, really. Yeah, understand. absolutely. It's still early in the season. What we do know is that they're as quick as the Mercedes, more or less. Uh, yeah, it feels so, like that, doesn't it? In the race. And it looks like 
you go into our race weekend and you would you would price up both Lewis and Vettel as having sort of a 50-50 chance of winning between the two, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. like there doesn't seem to be one that could that is obviously going to dominate the other over a race weekend. One weekend it might be Vettel, one weekend it might be Lewis that comes out on top, but there will always it looks as if throughout hopefully throughout the whole season those two are pretty much going to be going at it, you know, toe for toe, 50-50. Mm-hmm. And may the best man win kind of thing, which is exactly what we want as fans and viewers. Uh, it's what we it's basically what we it's starting to feel like what we had last season with Rosberg and Lewis, except in two different teams, which is what we've always wanted. You know, we don't want to see um to just two teammates going at it because then you end up with scenarios that we got for the last two seasons with inter-team politics and everything dominating more than what's actually going on the track. So I think we're in set for a for a battle as close as we had last season, but with the added caveat of two different teams. So you know, when they do come together on the track and clash on track, you know, it's going to have that added layer of of warfare, so to speak. Um, it's exciting. It feels a bit like to me how it felt, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, with sort of your hacking in and your Schumacher going at it. That's that's kind of what it feels like to me um, with Ferrari and Mercedes playing the the role of of McLaren from back then. Yeah, I think um, that, that's the kind of racing we want, really, isn't it? Um, is not to have a car that is just the quickest. It, you know, it's nice to have two cars that maybe track dependent and and all those bits and pieces um, were swapping about about who would turn up and be you know have the better car for the track is quite interesting you know obviously yes. some some of these things were augmented by the michelin and bridgestone tires and the fact that um some tracks suited those and other tracks didn't um which was probably the only really <clears throat> um positive about the tire war in general although it if people are complaining that DRS is artificial overtaking, imagining that you turn up to a, a racetrack and it depends which you know which manufacturer of tire you put on the car determines whether you'll do well or not, feels an awful lot more artificial than um, <laughs> than you know a bit of straight line drag reduction. Um, I I'm looking forward to see what happens when we get them into into Europe into those classic tracks. And seeing, you know, because we're, we're going to have, um, uh, although China is a proper race circuit, um, and so is Bahrain, they're pretty flat circuits. China's slightly less so, but, you know, Albert Park is not undulating. Um, Bahrain isn't undulating. Sochi definitely isn't mm-hmm. undulating. I want to, it'd be interesting to see, you know, when the cars are in places where there's lots of elevation changes, banking and, and off camber and all those bits and pieces to see which car is more poised. And I think that'll be an interesting, a really interesting part of the season. They're, they're sort of exchanging sort of jabs at the moment, but I think that's, that's when we'll start to see the haymakers coming out of the real push to try and, you know, uh, get the cars in a, in a specific uh, set up window that they they know they can rely on to to get the best out of the cars. So mm-hmm. I think the best Absolutely. is just to come, certainly. I would agree with that. I think we are set for, you know, 
this is going to go to the wire, it feels like, already, mm. even only three races in between Seb and Lewis. Like you say, one week it might be Seb, one week it might be Lewis, but they're going to be they're going to be trading punches all the way throughout the season with the looks of things. Um, and, and as much as I like both Bottas and Kimi, they already feel like very clear number two drivers and we're only three races in. Yes, it is starting to feel feel that way, especially um, you know, with some of the noises coming out of um, Ferrari regarding uh, Kimi, um, which felt a little um, unfair given how early the uh, the season is. But um, it, it definitely does feel like there's an early push to uh, choose somebody choose your champion so to speak mm-hmm. um and, it's, and it's, it's not really a choice is it <laughs> no the the oh. door is the door at ferrari was already fairly closed on kimmy i think in general bottas has an opportunity if he can take it in the next couple of races but i think if in a couple of races he's coming behind lewis then his fate will be sealed and they'll go right you score as many points as you can. You Barrichello this, but Lewis is the guy for the championship because yeah. he's already... He's the already Barrichello got... has become the verb in that situation, hasn't it? He is to Barrichello, the... yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's to do so... a Rubens. <laughs> it's so sad because I love him to bits, but it's true. Like That's exactly what it is. And, 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 and Ferrari will make no bones about it, as I've, I've said multiple times on this show, that, that Kimi is there to do that. You know, It's pretty clear. And and already, yeah, like I said, I agree with you. Bottas, I think, needs that first victory, you know, in the next three races at the most. And if it doesn't come, then he's probably mm. Barrichello in it, as you yes. say. But, um, um, so Lewis's so, race, really. Yeah. Uh, so he gets off the line behind um, behind Vettel, gets bullied a wee bit by Max, but then ultimately has the pace to, to pull clear. And then the safety car, and what this is what I want to get your opinion on. The Lewis incident in the safety car pit lane on Daniel Ricciardo. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that. <laughs> it's one of the most <laughs> retarded things I've ever seen <laughs> an entirely capable driver do. Like, compare it to what he did to Nico in the last race of last season. There's a big difference between being on track uh, in, in you know a wide-open racing space um, and going slow and, and being making yourself a pain and, and being wide and all, and all of those sort of things, which we may not feel uh, was true out and out racing, but tactical racing, you know, very clever. Um, and then there's this, which is just stupid because you just <laughs> know, you just know you can't do that in the pit. Line. Even if you didn't know that there was a rule, you should know that there is a, you know, you would think that there was a rule, wouldn't you? You wouldn't say, should I fanny about in the pit lane? Probably not. And it was so bad. It was the so. It was not only have I slowed down an unwarranted amount, you know, causing the guy behind me to swerve about all the place uh, as he's braking. Um, I then hang myself out in the pit lane for as long as possible before sweeping in, so he can't get past me either. Um, it was just. Like Lewis Hamilton will go down as one of the greatest drivers in Formula One history. You know, whatever else we may ever say about him on the podcast, he's a three time world champion, has a real good shot to make that even more, you know, 
uh, in the next few years. But <laughs> this is not going to go down <laughs> as one of his finest hours. This is definitely in the Schumacher uh, in Monaco qualifying level. <laughs> why did you do that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand why you did it, but why did you do it? <laughs> what made you think that was a good idea? Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I thought he was quite lucky to get five seconds for it, if I'm honest. Um, what were you expecting? 10 or a drive-through uh, or something? I thought a drive-through. I honestly thought you'd get a drive-through. Yeah. You don't because, see a lot of drive-throughs anymore because of the. You don't, but I, I thought because it was the pit lane um, that they'd be very hard on it. Because if, if um, Ricardo had been on the radio, not concentrating on what was in front of him, expecting Lewis to go full bore until he braked hard to go into the pit lane and put the speed limiter on. Yeah, he'd have, he'd have crashed he'd have gone the through the... He, well, and look at what happened to poor um, Billy Munger in, in F4 this week. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when you go into the back of a car at speed. But other than the d- danger to the driver, you're then sending shards, debris, wheels flying into the pit lane full of unprotected TV workers, mechanics, you know, race officials, uh, the the pit wall. It's just, it's so monumentally dangerous potentially to do that and to cause an accident there. If you, if you want to give yourself nightmares about what can happen in a pit lane, if cars touch uh, whilst this cruise about watch some indie car, pit lane crash compilations it will scare the bejesus out of you um indie car pit lanes are the unsafest place to be in the world i think i'd rather be in mosul than uh, an indie car pit lane it is scary what they do pit pit lane guys get hit all the time all the time um, because the pit boxes are completely open there's no distance between the pit boxes people just chuck tires all the way around and they race in the pit lane, the pit lane, the the lane of the pit lane, they're so wide that they'll get two or three cars wide in that, and then they'll touch each other, and people will just pull out without looking to see what's coming behind them. There's none of this. Uh, let's wait for other cars to go past. It's just like, oh yeah, we're finished. Off you go. Put your elbows out and see where you go. And it's the scariest thing. I have no idea how that, that sport is allowed to continue with pit lanes like that. Honestly, and that's not a, that's not a slight to IndyCar in general, but the pit lane stuff is diabolical. It's it's gross. Um, and F1 has tried so hard. You know, you think you try and think of the last time there was any kind of big incident in the pits. Um, the worst one was Weber's tire coming loose and hitting the camera yeah. guy, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. And everybody was just like, "Oh my god, we cannot have this again!" <laughs> <laughs> like nobody in the pit lane without any helmets, which seems to have gone away. I don't know how that's happened. Everybody in the, in the pit lane was supposed to be wearing a helmet, and somehow that just seems to have not been like really enforced. Um, but you know, it was suddenly like a very, very big deal. Um, so why why Lewis thought he would get away with it, I don't know. But I did think that I thought they might come down really heavily and, and go, you can't endanger the lives of people in the pits just by, you know, you know bloody-mindedness of not trying to let somebody go past you um, because you have to stack because you're you know, the second car on track. Um, so... That that was my thought on it. I understand why he did it in a way, because it must have felt that Ricardo was a much more immediate threat than he actually ever ended up being in the race. Um, 
but it was just it was just stupid, really. I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I don't really have much. You've said it all. It was stupid. Um, he gets five seconds. It could have been more, as you've rightly said. Uh, he comes out behind Bottas uh, on the. Did he come out behind Ricardo? I can't uh, remember. I thought he ended up coming back behind somebody, somebody else as well. Yes, he did. He ended. He actually came out behind Ricardo in the end because he had a slow stop. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, because he but had. He, to, he, that's right. Because yeah, well, he had to stack Bottas as well. So, and then by the time people was way through and stuff because everybody's coming yep. in the pit lane so that there was a little delay and then um, actually get you know he had to sit there for a second or two after he had had the stop actually taking place and things like that so yeah you're right he did come out he did come out behind uh behind danny ricardo that's right i don't recall how he got past him did he pass him on track I think he just passed him on track didn't he yeah it's probably he was just, he's just faster than him really yeah indicative of the you know the the pay of the Red Bull really ultimately, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was he was just he was helped obviously by Max going in the wall. So that was another that was one of the Red Bulls out of the way. But yeah, he gets he gets past Danny Rick then, and then we had the the sort of moment of Alonso being uh, Alonso. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, I wish. <laughs> um, at that moment of Lewis being. Uh, Sort of all over the back of a slower Valtteri, and it, what, everybody was kind of just sitting around waiting for when's the order going to come to let Lewis go. Like I was a little bit surprised that it took as long as it did, actually. Um, but finally, well, it started to come, didn't it? Uh, and then Valtteri decided he, you know, to put a spurt on, um, which kind of put it back because then um, Lewis was just like, I can't get past him. Um, but then eventually, the the difference in tire just sort of outed Bottas to, you know, to and the greater see, pace. Did you see the move that Lewis had to put on him? It was the strangest, <laughs> I was quite, was the strangest was quite place to let your teammate like, through. Like, it was weird. Uh, like, it was in the most obscure place. Like, I don't it, think... that, was a, that was a Sebastian Vettel letting somebody pass, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's exactly what you'd expect Vettel to do, isn't it? Is find some really, really real be... painful, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to sort of part myself here and Makes a bit of a chicane in the middle of two turns. It's, a, it's a just, you know, you get past then if you like. But I tried. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the most seamless move for two teammates swapping positions, that's for sure. Very interesting, though, to, to see Merck come very early on in the season and start making calls like that. And I, I know Lewis was faster. He so obviously had the a, pace, yeah. From a, from a race point well. of view and the team point of view, it was the right thing to do. But... You know, it's a it's a big it's a bit of a monkey on Bottas's back now because what happened was he, Lewis went and was significantly quicker, uh, and so it just it's kind of made you just go, oh, okay then. It's one you know when we've had the the swaps with like at Toro Rosso where like Kvyat or let signs go past or. And then if it doesn't work out, they'll swap around. Like, that didn't happen here, did it? There wasn't a point no. where it went, oh, he's not going to catch Vettel now. Best allow them to, to swap around. Um, it never felt like that was ever on the cards either. No, 
But I, it, and it I think that's more like a case thing, of, isn't it? Yeah, it felt much more like a case of letting the guy fighting for the championship get the most points possible for the race kind of thing. Yeah. And that goes back to, I think, our point about probably Mercedes having chosen who who yeah. their champion is for this season. And, and you know, yeah. let's, let's, let's be fair, cho- choosing Lewis Hamilton as a champion is probably not a, not a bad decision, really, but, uh, when you've got it, the choice of two. It, it's really only a decision in a very, I don't know the right word to use, but, you know, it, 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 was, never, it was never really going to be much of an argument. No, <laughs> kind of thing like decision only quite, in that can yeah. can Valtteri Bottas win the first three races and Lewis yeah, Hamilton like, DNF? Well, yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> Valtteri would have had to have come up and literally won right off the bat for there to ever be any sort of debate there. Um, so, but it's it's just it's odd, isn't it, for a guy who's on a one-year contract? Although I was reading somewhere that actually, with the way the contract's structured, he would be there for 2018. So it may and not Lewis be as if Lewis Hamilton wins the World Championship and Mercedes win the Constructors' Championship with Bottas pottering about picking up seconds and thirds everywhere, then, yeah, why wouldn't you keep him? You know, he's... No, but what I'm saying is that we, we everybody's been saying he's on a one-year contract, but actually I think the length of the contract is across two seasons. So... I'm, not, I'm not really familiar with um, the details of the contract, to be honest. But... Because that's what we were saying at the start of the season was that you know Bottas is on this one-year contract who do they well, yeah. really want in that seat that they're going to get in 2018 well, that, that um, was my impression of it but if you're saying that there's something in there that says it, it, it could be for two years then that would be news to me kind of thing but yeah that's and it was to me when I sort of read it um I can't even remember where I saw it really I think it was just on some some news site somewhere it was sort of mentioned in passing that actually the thing, the both of them I'm, both of the drivers are on until 2018 I think ultimately I find it difficult to take to take contract lengths and things too seriously when you know that if someone comes along with a big wad of cash, yeah, and generally, yeah, if Alonso would, did say he was leaving, that's yeah. leaving McLaren, yeah. it wouldn't it yeah. wouldn't take much. There's Probably much. wouldn't take this length and think about it, would it? Yeah, I mean, if they'd apparently talked to him before they'd done, you know, talked to, talked to Bottas, then that's fairly clear, isn't it? Um, yeah, just and and you know, like it's it's like contracts, not so not so much in Formula One, but but you know, especially in likes of football and things, you know, second anybody shows up with a suitcase full of money, then the contract I mean isn't worth rare, the, isn't, it? isn't worth the money that it's that's put on. So, funny enough, the only two drivers I really remember in recent times having contract issues was Jensen Button. Had the funny one, didn't he, when he was um, at Renault? Um, Did they not turf him out for? No, there was something else somewhere where he was going to go somewhere else. Oh no, maybe it was B A. There was definitely a point where he was going to go somewhere else, and then didn't because his contract was with whoever it was, and so that's why he ended up sticking with Honda. And eventually sticking around to winning the world championship, whereas, well, obviously, wherever he would, he was looking to go, didn't didn't win the world championship. I'm sure, there was something like that. Uh, and the one before that was um, Mika Hakkinen. Did Mika have contract issues? I can't he did, remember. and it's the only reason he ended up at um, McLaren. Um, 
because back a long time there. it's a very very long time and it's only because i happen to, to be glancing across um some of the uh, ratios um to, to answer somebody's question on twitter um but he was under contract with lotus um wanted to go i think it might have been to Lige, um or somebody like that um they put a big block on it um and then I think either Lotus folded or, or Lotus didn't want him. So he sort of ended up without a drive, was desperately looking around the grid. Um, and ironically, in a bit in a sort of a, in a James Hunt kind of way, um, McLaren was an open door for him. So he came on to be the test driver for McLaren, um, whilst Michael Andretti was the lead driver. Uh, and Andretti quit partway into the season, and Mika took over and scored points and bits and pieces. Um, Uh, with Senna as a teammate, I think it might have been. Would it be Senna? No, maybe it wouldn't. I'm trying to think. No, maybe it wouldn't. I, I'd, I'd have to remember who his teammate was. But he came in and was incredibly impressive in the McLaren, hence the reason he got the long-term contract for McLaren. But if it had gone all the way, he'd have been driving a, um, you know, a Ligier and a, a probably <laughs> never heard of him again, you know. Yeah, 93, I think. So... Um... Yeah, I think it would have been Senna. Yeah, it would have been Senna as his team. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, he'd, I, I, he'd have had the chance of being Olivier Panis in the 1996 Monaco Grand Prix, potentially, as his, <laughs> his best result. That would have been probably. his only win, yeah. Good <laughs> move in the end. Yeah, it worked out all right, didn't it, funnily enough? <laughs> nice uh, double world champion there. But, yes... Um, um, We've digressed. <laughs> we have a little bit. Well, let's get, let's get back to the race then. Um, so I think we've covered the top three. Um, so Kimi Raikkonen had an unimpressive race, really, doesn't he? Um, he just doesn't have the pace of Vettel. He's finished... Doesn't... What? 20... 22 seconds yeah, off of 22 the seconds behind, which is, what, over a 57-lap race? I mean, like, what? Three-tenths a lap, four-tenths a lap slower? Yeah, three-and-a-half, something like that. That's just kind of where he is, sadly. Um I was just able to to get more out of the car, and I don't think at this stage we can say he's getting all the the favourable treatment because they, it's not like they're bringing upgrades already. They haven't, no. you know, they haven't got a truckload of new front wings that they're only putting on Vettel's car and not putting on Kimi's and things like that. that you might see down the line in the likes of Silverstone and mm. places like that. We aren't at that stage in the season yet where you know new bits are limited and one driver's going to be favoured over the other. So really, the machinery should be more or less on par. And he's a few tenths of a second lap consistently down over race distance and then also in qualifying, he's a few tenths slower. Is it just is it just a case of, you know, a, a once, you know, great driver coming to the end of his career? Yeah. Is there motivation I mean, there for Kimi? You think, is that a factor? Well, you kind of wonder what, what his motivation is been for the last uh the last few seasons really when Ferrari haven't been turning up with a car for him anyway. So what's the um what's the problem there? Um that suddenly he's got a car that can challenge a Mercedes and, and now he's not motivated? That seems a bit odd. Um I don't know. Maybe you know I don't know. If Alonso can be as good as he is Right, right now, you know, and and Button was as good as good as he was, um, you know, up until he he left. 
There's no reason why Kimmy can't be, you know? If Felipe Massa yeah, is capable of dragging his Williams to the places it's going to at the moment, then there's certainly no reason why Kimmy shouldn't be able to be fast. But is it the case that... But You'd say that, you know, maybe Hamilton and Vettel are faster than him, but why is Bottas faster than him? Well, there was only two seconds between them, to be fair. Yeah, but he's consistently faster than him, isn't he? Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of feels to me, that, that Bottas has been faster than Kimi so far this season. Maybe Bottas is good. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously. But, it, you know, you'd have put it down to the car before, wouldn't you? But now the car seems fairly equal. So why is, you know... I don't, I don't know. But then we've never known with Kimi, have we? We haven't known for the last few seasons really what he's been about. So I think, I think seems... the thing is to just say is you've got to say, you know... Maybe you'll perk up, maybe you won't. Maybe this will be his last year at Ferrari, maybe it won't. And we literally won't know just, until Ferrari... We just decides. don't really expect him to get a podium. Or or even... You certainly don't expect him to be challenging for a pole position or a win. No. Yet Vettel is able to. And you don't even expect him to really get a podium so much. And he's driving no. a car that could easily win the World Championship. And you think if Kimi gets a podium, you'd be like, oh, that's a bit of a surprise. Kimi's on the podium. Whereas Vettel you're expecting him to win the race. And if he doesn't, the worst he'll be is second. And they're driving the same car. So why? That's, that shouldn't be the case, you know? It's a strange yeah. one. It is a strange one. I can't, I can't quite put my finger on what it is, to be honest. But then, I, like you just said, we, we haven't for two seasons, three seasons. So I don't, I don't know. I think it will 100% be his last season in the Ferrari, though. I think that's... It's starting to feel that way, isn't it? I kind of feel that fifth place to ninth place is just about that's roughly the order of the cars, give or take. Yeah, yeah. Like Ricardo Massa, Perez, Grosjean, Hulkenberg is about how we'd see most of those cars finish. Yep, that's pretty much nailed on. You got. And I think that was pretty much their race, wasn't it? Really. Um, Red Bull is certainly the leader of that crew. You would say the Williams is. I've said Seems at the, the moment, of, doesn't it? Yep. I've said from the start of the season, I fancied Williams to have a stronger season than Force India, so that would tie in. And then you've got the Haas and the Renault for the, the next best between them. So, yeah, that does look about right. That is sort of the pace of the car. Toro Rosso would slip in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe. But they've had a bit of a weird weekend. Yeah, as which, usual. Uh, as we've discussed before, they can sometimes turn up and be lightning and sometimes turn up and be nowhere. And this was kind of one of their their poorer weekends. But yeah, Danny Rick in fifth. Um bit of a bit of a recurring theme of you know the best of the rest behind the top two teams, really. Yeah, I think, you know, um Finish ironically his... Ironically Finish... Max is sorry, mate, sorry. Um ironically, yeah, Max has been in better positions in the races and not not been able to kind of capitalise on them. Um but Ricardo seems to be driving more consistently, so yeah. Um, okay. I, I think it'll be interesting, you know, because because kind of Kvyat's gotten places by being on odd contra strategies or doing odd things because he's been out of place. I think that's it'd be interesting to see if they started, you know, um, fifth and sixth on the grid <clears throat> and had a clean race racing against one another to see how that would work out. 
Um, I think I think you could run that race in equal machinery on the same racetrack maybe twenty times and probably get a different result. Felt like it, didn't it? That's what I liked about it. That's what I liked about it. I think when you put your finger on it, that like to think that it. The first two races felt like that's probably the way they were going to end, like almost regardless. I mean, I know China had the rain and stuff making it a bit different, but it still didn't feel like there was anything surprising there. Whereas this one's kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't really know where this one's going, or oh, I just wonder, you know, maybe if you know. Certainly, up until I think maybe the last sort of five laps anyway when it kind of became clear that Lewis wasn't going to catch mm. Seb but, but yeah anyway <laughs> yeah um I guess you got to say um good points for Haas this race a solid solid eighth place for Grosjean um yeah absolutely that was good to see yeah uh Magnussen I think had a good weekend in China and uh and Grosjean's had a good weekend here so it looks like the Haas has got something about it um, more sort of um, inconsistency for Hulkenberg in the in the Renault really because he qualified better than ninth, didn't he? I think um, seems to qualify well, but the Renault doesn't seem to have the race pace to take still, a race to people. I'm still of kind of the opinion that points for Renault is a pretty decent. Ah, point. yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think you know if they target ninth uh, and tenth regularly, yeah. that's a good target for them from last at, season. At, at this stage in the development, you're not looking. You know, from where they went from last season to this season, if they can get consistently in the points this season and then push on again next season, you know, results don't happen overnight. You're looking at two, three, four years to to genuinely progress into a top six, top eight team consistently, like like Force India have managed mm-hmm. to do. And if they can consistently be in the points, any points, or the eighth, ninth, and tenth, then that looks like a fair weekend, and and that's the. That's the category I would I would stick Hulkenberg in at the moment. That's a that's a pretty solid job there. And again, I know I go on about it every week, but you know he's he's beat Palmer fairly consistently. Yes, uh, Ocon runs out the po- points finishes in tenth. Um, I Ocon's think quite doing a, okay. I think I think he's doing all yeah, right. Yeah, he's yeah. I mean he's consistently in tenth, so that's that's something. I think a little lucky to, luckier to be in tenth this time, due to some of the people who. Um, who DNF'd really? Um, I think signs would have been ahead of him. I think Verstappen would have definitely been ahead with him. And I actually, looking at the weekend, probably would have thought that Stroll and Magnussen would have been ahead with him. Um, Every chance, um, you know, we'll never know. Um, no, but obviously, Max, you would, would say yes. And and Stroll, well, the Williams has obviously got the pace, it's just whether, whether, um, whether Lance is, you know. What he's got, we we got we said last week he needs a good clean race and he he didn't get it again this week unfortunately. He needs to see the checkered flag. We need to see what he's like at driving a car in race conditions for sixty laps, you know, because he keeps either binning it or being taken out. And this week wasn't his fault for sure, but just needs some. He needs some solid time in the race, start to finish, head down. Um. That's, that's, that's all. Until he gets that, you know, it's going to be weighing on the the poor young man's mind that he still hasn't, you know, that he hasn't scored a point yet. Has he even finished the race yet? I don't think he has. Um, yeah, he just needs he needs Ocon's weekend. Yeah, moment of just 
quietly going about his business and picking up a point or two. That's what Stroll needs just now. Possible driver of the day for 11th place for Pascal Wehrlein in the Sauber, which has been um, the bargain basement car, I think. You know. Yeah, that's a very good drive. We know Wehrlein's pretty good. There's a reason he was um, linked with the Mercedes seat and Nico's absence. You know, They seriously did consider him to go straight into the you know the top seat. So we know how well he's regarded. We know he's quick. He was you know good in the manner last year in a car that wasn't very good. And there's every chance he could do a similar season in the Sauber now that he's actually turned up to the to drive the car for the weekend. Yeah. So that was good to see. Um, yeah, I think if Verline can do that every weekend and clearly show the paddock, okay, I'm driving a dog of a car, but you know, look how far ahead I am of my teammate, and you know, I'm managing to drag it to some half respectable, then that'll do his stock no no harm at all. Yeah, uh, he finishes ahead of. Kvyat and Palmer. Uh, I'm looking at my race things and I can't see Marcus Ericsson on my uh, list. Uh, reti- retired, lap 50. Ah. Okay, he's, he's not on my DNFs, but, uh, you know. <laughs> he just do, doesn't do, exist. <laughs> do not care would probably have been a slightly, <laughs> slightly more appropriate category for Marcus Ericsson to be in. I apologise to all my all the Sauber in um, Swedish fans listening. Um Yes, I find it very difficult to uh, yeah, <laughs> bring didn't. myself to raise very much of an interest in, in what he's doing. He didn't get round. Uh, I can't remember what his problem was, but he, he definitely retired. I assume it was just a... I think he must have just had a tech gremlin, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but... Yeah, yeah but my, my, my teammates... <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm just, beating I'm just, me highly, probably best that I retire and nobody will really remember how far away I was just, from him. I've just checked, it was a gearbox, so yeah. Uh, so our dinner furs, I did not finish his, uh, Max Verstappen with, with brake problems a lap or two after coming in for tyres, it was odd. Straight into the wall and it was one of those ones that as soon as you've seen the incident... Yeah, that's a it was like brakes, yeah. Straight, <laughs> straight ahead, nothing else, you know, changing on the car. You're just like, yeah, he didn't try to steer, didn't try to do anything. That's brake failure. Um, bit of an odd one. Um, you'd have thought that early on in the race, um, there wouldn't have been much to go wrong. So I guess maybe just a maybe just a bad bad batch or something like that. Uh, These things happen at times. I don't think there was anything. Well, you can ask Rem and Grosjean about brake failure, can't you? Yeah, like, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, these things happen, you know. Machines sometimes break down. Um, Lance Stroll will certainly say that after having been <laughs> torpedoed somewhat, somewhat by uh, Carlos Sainz coming out of the pits. Uh, uh, what, what was uh, your take on that? Whole, I was just about to say the same to you. Yeah, I mean, we know how much we... We generally think of Carlos as a as a driver and a, certainly a future talent, potential race winner and championship winner even. But yeah, this one was on him. I think <laughs> wasn't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not having Lance have blame for that one. He was about fifty yards behind him. Lance was already taking the corner, and uh, I'm giving Carlos the the blame on that one. Yeah, I don't think there's an insurance company in the world that's going <laughs> to um, pay out the damages. Uh... To uh, to to Carlos on that one, it was um, like speculative doesn't even come into it. He he was entirely relying on the fact that um, 
How was Lance, Lance Stroll to would... know he was there? Well, I think the thing was that either he expected Lance to know he was there and chicken out of it, or uh, was just a bit expected to be able to bully his way through. Um, but you, ju- I mean, you know that that with that kind of corner, somebody is sweeping left to right. They are basically going to run across the front of the the corner if you're on the inside coming out of the pits. Mm-hmm. It, it was just silliness. You know, again, speculative nonsense, not thought through just because it seemed like a good idea at the time. And, you know, um, whether that was the ultimate reason why he, he broke down later on, because he drove away from it and drove for a little bit longer. Um, but uh, I did, I must admit, I felt very... Very sad for 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 Paul Lanstraw having to to sort of wander off from the Grand Prix so early. Yeah, as I said a minute ago, we need he needs he just needs a weekend where he can get get to the checkered flag and and hopefully score a point or two because that car probably has the pace to do so. And just keep his head down. Don't be involved in any crashes or incidents and uh, and get get his confidence up because. <laughs> Already only three races in, his head's. I feel like his head's starting to drop a little bit, and that's the worst thing that can happen. He can. He needs to. You know, he needs. He needs. He needs a quiet one in in Russia, and Russia might be the the track for that. Uh, you know, he can just tuck himself in midfield and keep himself to himself. Hopefully, as uh, yeah. so last and. Probably least and probably forgettably so uh, were the McLarens. I <laughs> is I this, don't really have anything left to say at this point. Is uh, this um, is it is it three double DNFs for the first two races? Is um, it, have they completed a race no, with either? They have completed. Yes, I think they. Because I'm not entirely convinced they have. I've got a feeling that might be three double DNFs. But you're the resident McLaren expert, so. Think it is. I don't think it is. I think one of them finished in one of the races. I can't remember which way around it was. Uh, I'll have a check later on, but I'm pretty sure it isn't. Um, I don't really have anything to say, Sean. It's all, it's all rubbish. Um, the only vague uh, glimmer was that in the it was in the testing that they had a completely they did 81 laps on the second day of testing. So whether they have actually been able to fix this inherent problem with the MGU8s. Hopefully, that might give us some hope for a semi-competitive McLaren. And by competitive, I mean getting in there for the ninth, tenth places. But that's that's worse than they were last season. Really. It's remarkable that they've gone backwards. I'm actually quite stunned that they've gone backwards from where they were last season. Because we talked about McLaren quite a lot last season in the sense that there was clear signs of progression, you know. The green, yeah. the green shoots of growth, as they say in politics, was starting to come through. You know, they were picking up quite a lot of points. They were battling. There was a, you know, they were battling properly for a long time last season with the Force India and the, you know, and the Haas and, and those guys, and picking up, you know, regular ninths and tenths and eights and the odd fifth or sixth. That's that. That looks a pipe dream at the moment. Yeah, it really does, and. I guess that's got to be down to trying to do too much too soon with that. I, I feel like uh, unless they're, I mean, you don't know, do you? We, you know, we're not engineers and we don't sit in the Honda factory and nobody's producing crap engines for the sake of producing crap engines. Um, 
but it looks like the philosophy about whatever they suddenly decided they were going to do all of this stuff now that the engine freeze was off just seems to have undone the decent work that they'd done creating a you know uh a fairly okay engine um it looks it feels like they've tweaked too much now they've you know they've gone ah well, if we're doing this, we could do this, this, and this. And the combination of all of those things has gone back to creating a terrible, unreliable engine that just doesn't work and that has terrible power deployment and, and is incredibly unreliable. And you just go, how? How did you do that? How did you manage to turn it all around, you know, from getting better to being worse? <laughs> it's just... If it makes you feel any better, it isn't the third double DNF because Stoffel managed to finish Albert Park last of the 13 finishers but ah, yeah. did complete so but yeah i mean I, I don't i don't really know what to say um yeah that is what it is i don't let's get into the stage where it's like are they gonna you know you're watching them go around and it's just like when is it gonna break down kind of thing and uh, I, I i don't know i, I don't know man no, and I, I, I don't either. And I've, I've stopped, you know, I've stopped trying to be forgiving about it. And I'm just, I'm, just, I'm bored of it now. Frankly, it's you know, um, it, it's just too much every week to, you know, see. <laughs> cast not even starting is just pathetic. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Seeing them that... limp down the straights is just ridiculous. This and... week we didn't even get stuffled. Red, did we? I mean, if we're talking no. about specific, we're talking about McLaren in general as a whole. Um, but you know, focusing on on this week's race of Bahrain, what actually happened to Stoffel? What? Why did Stoffel Van Dorn not compete in this Grand Prix? Because I'm not 100 percent sure. You, you, you know, you, See, I, it's I, the, you're McLaren, sort of. Not yeah, it, time, so it's you the, tell, it's the MGUH, um, which is all linked with the turbo, which has been the Achilles heel of the car all along because it all completely determines um how fast the car goes in a straight line you know what i mean it's it's there's just that fundamental bit on the inside of it that's um dealing with the heat transference to and is that what broke on stoffels in bahrain yep. that, that didn't let him get to the start when and did it all break did... and all of the turvies in the testing so did it break with stoffel did it break on the way to the grid or when, yep. when did it and break it, yeah yeah and it was breaking in the um free practice as well sure. so it's just the whole thing he's gone through i think if they have to change his engine i think he will have gone through all of his engines by the next race. unbelievably that's outstandingly just wow you know yeah like, it's like watching it feels like you're watching you know amateurs almost like like you know they will like put together a formula one team and and this is what they've come up with, and it, they can't get it to go for more than five laps at a time. It's just, it's just madness for a team of McLaren's yeah. magnitude and size, and not just McLaren's, because you know it's not like Honda or yeah, two well, built well, that's what I mean. Like McLaren have almost done their bit, you know, designing the. Sash. I mean, they have. You look at that car through the corners. Yeah, yeah it's fine. It's great, it holds off, you know, all the cars around it, and it gives Alonso something to fight with. It's just that. They just breeze past on the straights. Anybody with any decent exit, you know, in the corner onto the, you know, the start finish straight or the second second straight, will go past the McLaren. Rid ridiculously so. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, not even getting a man to the grid though. That's no, that's, that's pretty, just that's a beyond. new, that's almost a new low for like Jesus. That's that's you know the the salver of the last few years. You feel it? bad for Stoffel as well because Stoffel's come into this team with a bag load of talent on the back of a great couple of years in GP two, and he can't even get a car that's going to get him ten laps into the race or get him to the grid. You know, so what chance has he got of showing? You know, we know how good Stoffel Van Dorm is, but you know some people might not. You know. Casual fan might not, you know, like he can't show what how good this guy is because he's not getting an opportunity to. I mean, even even if he was in something like, you know, the Haas or the mm. Renault or something, you know, at least he could fight with the midfield and show what he can do. But he's not even getting an opportunity to do that. So I feel for Stoffel. And as you pointed out last week, you know, it's it's not just in the race where he isn't getting to show what he can do, but then he's. He's not getting any running in practice because of the reliability trouble. So there's just no. There's no end in sight. There's no there's flow no to this weekend. There's, he's not. Yeah, you you made a great point last week, and and it's just it, it's carried on this week, and will probably carry on into Russia. Is that he's not getting the right how a Formula One weekend should go, how how a professional Formula One driver goes about their weekend from FP one, FP two to quality to race. X amount of laps here, X amount of laps there, this type of lap here, that type of lap here, this style of setup there, working on this part of the setup there. He's not getting that because the whole time he's just having to, they're in the garage fixing the yeah. car. So he isn't learning what it's like. To, or taking it easy. Yeah. Going, yeah get, get on the laps, do the laps, but you're going to have to do it yeah. two thirds of what the car can do. Well, you're never going to understand how to drive the car in its limit, then, and yeah, exactly. You, so you have to do to be the the best F1 drivers. He isn't learning what it's like to be an F1 driver because he's got so much else going on, and yeah. as a rookie, that's no use. Like, um, so I feel particularly for uh, for Stoffel more than yeah, more than anybody. But I mean, and you go, what can you say about Fernando? Like, and some of his yeah. some of his radio, if Fernando. A medal for getting that car as far as he has at times this season. Absolutely. Some of the Absolutely. way he was, he was trying to compete with the tenth and eleventh while it's running. He's he's he's, he's fighting and it's, even even beyond that at times. It's I think it's, Fernando Alonso seems to be worth about a second and a half to two seconds in that car, like just on his own, just out of sheer seems bloody mindedness to make yeah. it go <laughs> it's it's remarkable like and uh, we, we sound like a broken record but god give this man a car that can drive in formula one race. damn good you know i hope he goes to indy and slight segue he's turned up this week and and started and sat in the um in the car that he's going to be driving isn't he this week have you seen those those shots he was he was him and zach brown were there he was sitting in the, yeah, sitting in it, and you know, getting all familiarised with with things, and give this man a car that can win Formula One races, and he will win them. Simple as that. And I hope he goes to India, uh, India. Hope he goes to Indy <laughs> Five Hundred and just just lights it up. Just, mm. just says, you know, here I am, still the best. Give me a car that can win a race, and. I'll win it, and I'd love to see him win it. So, what can you say? Yeah, it doesn't look like it's that's a it. I think really, I am, <laughs> I I'm done talking about it. It's, 
as far as I go. Um, so I think that takes us to the end of the uh, podcast. Uh, a positive note that we, we watched a really good, really varied Grand Prix from start to finish. Hope for more of the same in Sochi. Uh, just a little reminder that you can follow us on Twitter where we like to talk about bits and pieces with all of our fans. Um, we've been having some really good discussions um, talking with Tim Holmes Design about p- potential uh, sponsorship liveries and bits and pieces. It's been good fun. Uh, talking to the uh, side podcast guys um, about um, sexism in the sport, which has been really interesting. And maybe uh, we'll be getting uh, on a show with them to, to talk about that further. Um, lots and lots of other bits and pieces talking to, to guys about the race weekends and, and what's going on, Fernando and Indy 500 and all those bits and pieces. So if you want to be joining in on that sort of thing, and I don't see why you wouldn't, then find us at Last Lap Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, just search for The Last Lap Podcast on there. Uh, but the best place to come and get all of our latest episodes and what's going on with the podcast is from our website, which is www.thelastlappodcast.co.uk. And from there, you can find all of the links about how you can subscribe to the podcast, whether that's subscribing via iTunes, soon to be Apple Podcasts for no apparent reason. Uh, Tune in if you're on an Android device or uh, Stitcher as well as an alternative method for both of those devices. Um, Yeah, it's going to be Apple Podcasts and not iTunes for some reason. I don't know why. Do you know why? I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, And on that confused note, we shall leave it there for this week. Uh, Thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next week after Russia. Bye-bye. 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 It sounded like you hit something there. You said, <laughs> bye-bye, pow, to the pigeon on the window. Sill. I just, I just, uh, I didn't realise you would hear that so clear. It's just me, like, putting my hand down on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like a proper end of the show. <laughs> and yeah. I have also brained a pet in the background somewhere.